fall through time as if the earth passed tree and root through lime-scaled dirt. Watch height rescind back to where mankind begins. The high felt is elevated. Here the air is thin and catching. Here the grass is long and thin. It is pale and brittle and prickles as it touches you. The wind rushes through the brush and the grass leans to the left as the air begins to whistle through its gaps. The land is sparse. It is the dry season and the rain has not fallen in weeks. The reservoirs glisten in the heat its still surface reflecting the world back onto us. There is no one here for miles. The road is nothing more than flattened earth compressed by tire treads. The earth is red, the red earth and the yellow brush. It is easy to feel alone in this world, this world of red and earth, red and yellow and blue, reduced to primaries like the colours you first learned to mix. These are the colours of the world, divisible in its description, categorised by the simplest and most primary of adjectives. And I felt like a child, discovering the world anew, giving names to things and forms in space, to say here and point there, look up the path and follow the scene. Here, nothing has changed. It is this untouchedness that I find new, for this world is old. And this we forget. We forget because we see, assaulted by visions and updates of events. The now has become everlasting, never fleeting, constantly refreshed in all its chaos and bombardment, hardship and pain. We see it, and we're deafened by it. We begin to expect the complex, and it grows within us. Exponentially entropic. And only when the spinning stops and the world is let to still can we begin to see its solidarity and perseverance, that it was us spinning all along, and that beyond our introversion the grass still grows to touch the sky and the wind dips down to stir the dust around our heels, stir the earth in hues of red and yellow and blue. This episode takes us back, perhaps not so much back in time, but back to stillness, as if to hold us in place, just long enough to see all the subtleties we've missed. In a way, it resembles these last few months. It held that stillness, that same quiet, and evoked the same reverence for nature that these lockdowns have. It was out of time, an indescript and borderless pocket of in-between. Somewhere along a road I had long since lost the name of. Journeys are strange that way. All this moving forward, making us think back, stilling time between where we were and where we're going. It is a limbo I think we've all grown far too familiar with recently. We know its highs and lows, frustrations and liberations. We are getting to know ourselves looking back and looking inward, same sides of a different coin. When I was young, I was told to tell my worries to the water, that she would wash them away with the current and empty them out into the sea. There they'd feed the whales, who would use our words to sing. 
I loved that story. Now I realise it was more about outlook and being positive. But as a child, I would watch the sea. We had a secret root and a secret perch. It took us to a great fir tree that had split and hollowed in its trunk, but had not died. Here, we'd sit in the hollow, as if embraced, and watch the whales. Watch the whales and wish them words to help them with their song. For whales have the souls of travellers, and I think I must be one of them. Here in the fields, I'm reminded of the sea and of these songs. But by now you must have realised, I see stories everywhere. And there is a catharsis here, in the act of letting go, of leaving behind the world you knew, of slowing down in watching, in washing worries into songs, in final acts and new beginnings. Perhaps it's like when water stills, when it can no longer wash away our worries and we are left to face our own reflection. For there are the fields, and there is what lies underneath. Here, we visit another cave. Buried deep within the Stackfontein is the story of an endless lake, an endless lake deep below the cradle of humankind. And this is an amazing place. Home to some of the oldest and most complete human skeletons, it shows us our own history. As we enter the caves, there is no doubt as to our presence. These are not abandoned or dead. Walls are covered with names and dates and wishes. They are not recent. Most of the dates carved are from the 19th century. Our guide tells us it was the Victorians that declared this cave a tourist attraction. Each visitor was given a single candle to lead their way. There is no air of humour in his voice. No trace of tease. It is clear this is what happened. All along the walls are lines singed into the limestone. My eyes follow them around stalactites and through the chambers, some long while others short, some long and some short, while others turn back on themselves entirely. It reminds me of anamorphic type, as if, at the right angle it would spell out its secrets, and I find myself craning my neck in ridiculous angles, looking for forms and fonts in space. But there are none, no clear-cut indication of the right direction, and I suppose it's never been that easy. You see, this is a maze. There are many exits and entrances, some quick while others slow, and more than that, there are paths that don't lead anywhere at all. And I wonder if it's about our trials, in facing them, each and every time. There's a philosopher I like, Michel de Certeau, he says life relies on blindness, but he says it in the most beautiful way, that life goes on before us and takes steps and plots trajectories we cannot know, like we're writing, a text we cannot read, making use of spaces that we cannot see, intertwining paths that create the stories that we live. And you see it here. For the candles are their guides, you see. Wandering into the darkness, visitors would find these lines and follow them, putting their faith in those that came before. And that's why they have repeated. There's no way of knowing which path was right. You took the most followed, because chances were it had the most success. But this is a faulty statistic. It simply means it's the path most followed. 
Tours range from hours to days, and you could see the evidence of this exploring. Now lit, the chambers show their scars. We see grooves and paths carved high above us. These were the first routes, paved from entrances we cannot see, attempted long ago. And there are staircases, steps, stories above our head. They start and stop in space, four or five at a time, carving out the cave faster than anything else before us. And most incredibly, there are the bridges, where paths met cliffs and unexpected drops. But this did not stop, and you still see them here today, rotting ropes and slats of wood, draped and calcified in place, over a hundred years later. And I can't help but think of the Minotaur and of his labyrinth, winding deeper and deeper into these caves, and of the fates, each path and step and bridge, like cut threads of all those past. For this cave whistles, as if to remind you of its presence, but soon we surface and leave these ghosts behind. There are names written on the wall, centuries of ash-burnt tones, names and dates blackened into flame-kissed stone. We were here, 1887, and I suppose we all must make our mark, mark the world as it marks us, in declaration of existence. With lives so brief, we cannot compare to the eras passing by, so we choose instead to impact them, to collide against natural progression and our own impressions. In the stone, lines gather towards the surface, and like a child puzzled by a maze, they jump from the page to draw themselves in space in search of the breaking day. But the lights have dimmed, and I cannot see the water. The spring's current carves caverns into the earth, revealing caves so deep they lose all sight. The outside world reduces to pinpricks, and in this darkness the water glistens black. Still and undisturbed, there is no wind to break the surface and reveal its depth. In 1984, Piet Verhauser fell into the Stackfontein. His last act was to carve the names of his wife and daughter into the nearest stone, a final farewell engraved as both mausoleum and memorial. Loss lies at the bottom of this lake bed, its depth measured not in cubic centimetres, but in attempts to chart. Life and loss and broken surface. Indelible acts are not always lost to the dark. And this is where we began, the cradle of humankind, where in 1935 the oldest humanoid skull was discovered, fossilised for over two million years, more than 500 human remains have since been excavated. History unearthed in the shadows of the Stackfontein. But I suppose there was once a time we lived unseen. Here, in the darkness, I understand what it means to lose all definition. At a loss for words, as well as form. What forms do we take when we have lost our own? As we surface... A fire rages across nearby fields. These are controlled fires, they say. Blackened by soot, the brush begins to smoke. And it builds until its black billows touch the sky, dispersing into a haze of slate. 
as it turns to stone. I imagine what it means to petrify, to turn to stone from fear and terror, to be hardened and turn cold from it. But there is solace in the fire too, healing embers cracking in the night. The faintest of flickers can ignite the world, for even whispers stir the silence. These are the lands I stand with. These are the plains that I traverse. These are their stories, past histories and myths, carried on the whispers of lost currents in the wind. For we all must have our seasons. And perhaps this is the point, the worth, this temporality. This marks the last episode of Between Our Seas. It is by no means the end of the story. But it is where we'll choose to leave it, to close the chapter and return it to its stacks. This is the story of the land, of its incredible strength and wonder, resilience and tolerance. This is a land that lives, that thrives, a land that connects us to each other and ourselves. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in and sharing in this project with me. I'd like to thank the Canada Council for the Arts for their support in creating this podcast as a platform to share my thoughts and process with you all. There will be more places and seasons to come. I'll bring you to the edges of the world, touch the tips of hemispheres, chasing trains and fires in equal measure. But until then, happy travels.